let's uh, pray for Phil as he brings something to us this morning from God's Word. Father, I want to thank you for Phil and for uh, the anointing that you've given him. Thank you for his life in you. And Lord, we want to pray that you would uh, speak to us now with that that he's prepared in the secret place at home. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Well, a very warm welcome to you all this morning, to Jordan and his family and friends, um, to anybody who might be new or visiting this morning. I uh, would love to get to meet you and talk to you, so do make yourself known after the service, uh, and that would be great. Uh, as Mark said, I'm called Phil, and I'm a regular member of the church here at St. Paul's. We're in the middle, or actually we're nearly at the end, of a series on Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And um, Thessalonians, Thessalonians is the, one of the first actual um, letters or books in the New Testament to be written. And we've been looking at things that are, that are authentic. And you might recall we've been looking at authentic faith. Then we looked at authentic outreach. Then we moved on to authentic love, lives. And then we had a break last week for a very special day, Father's Day. And this morning I'm going to be looking at authentic hope. And then the last week is next week on community. I hope that you've enjoyed the series so far and that uh, my speaking isn't going to change any of that. I think perhaps at this point I'd like to add just a prayer of my own if I may. So let's just uh, um, close our eyes. Lord, I pray that you would open your word to us this morning, that you would reveal something fresh, something new about your hope for each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start by asking you a question. How hopeful a person do you think you are? How hopeful a person do you think you are? Let's do, I'm I'm a great one with numbers, so let's do a scale of one to ten. Um, Let's do this, if you're the really hopefuls of the eight, nine, tens, the sort of middle hopefuls of the fours to sevens, and maybe the, uh, the ones that aren't feeling too helpful, hopeful, the ones, twos, and threes. You might say to me, well, what sort of hope are you, are you talking about, Phil? Well, I might say, uh, perhaps England winning Euro 2012. Um, you may say, well, actually, it depends on what you're asking me to be hopeful for. But let's use the dictionary definition of hope, shall we? So that's a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. Alternatively, there's grounds for believing that something good may happen. Okay, so we use that definition, scale of 1 to 10, 1 to 3, 4 to 7, 8 to 10. Now, I don't want to embarrass you and start putting hands up, but why not just, just focus on me now, and if you're, what I want you to do is I just want you to go like that, very subtly, so no one else really knows, okay? So, I don't look around, so you need to look at me for this one, okay? Trust me. So, the 8 to 10s, on the count of 3, I just want you to go like that, okay? 8 to 10, 1, 2, 3, go. Oh, that's not bad, not bad, yeah. Okay, now let's the four to sevens. <clears throat> one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the one, two, threes. Go. All right. Now, I would say that the majority are definitely around the sort of seven mark, seven to eight on average. So that's very encouraging, isn't it? But what is that worldly hope? What is that worldly hope based on? Psychologists will tell you there's a number of different types of hope. First one they say is it's your character. You're either an optimist or a pessimist. The glass is either half full or it's half empty. It um, may depend on your circumstances because, of course, your character might say it's half empty 
and the circumstances might not be very optimistic. A second type of hope is a, is a borrowed hope, where others actually have hope for you. Now, you might think this is a bit of a severe example of borrowed hope, but I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago, and it was the younger of four boys. In fact, there were seven children, three girls, four boys, and it was the funeral of the youngest boy. I say he was a boy, he was 62, and his older brother gave a eulogy at the, at, the, at the funeral. And he was talking about the fact that many years ago, he was wrongly convicted of a quite serious crime and was put in prison for life. And the younger brother, for eight years, fought for his innocence and um, actually, in the end, did. And the guy was released, he was exonerated, he's written a book about that. And all four of them know the Lord and are Christians. But that's a borrowed hope, isn't it? So that the younger brother was hopeful for eight years that he would see justice for his older brother. So that's borrowed hope. So it's your character. You could be optimistic, pessimistic. It could be a borrowed hope, someone else's hope for you. Third one is some um, unrealistic hope. We've talked about that already, England winning the Euro 2012. Or, or perhaps, you know, I want to be the next England captain. And I don't want to quash anybody's... Um, enthusiasm or hope for that um, but I guess it's just one position for probably half a million applicants um, wishful hope is the next one winning the lottery maybe one example of falling into that category I, th I heard the other day there's an unclaimed ticket still of 63 and a half million pounds um, for, for the lottery for the last week so maybe someone's wishing that uh, they would find that ticket false hope there's another one there false hope I find that most sales calls fall into the category of false hope. They start by telling you all the wonderful things about their product, and then when you, if you actually do have the patience to you know, listen to them a bit longer and dig deeper, you actually find the deal actually isn't as good as it first might have sounded. So there's an example of false hope. And then, of course, there's the general hope that probably most of us have most of the time, a desire for some future thing to happen. Maybe I really hope the exams I've taken, I'm going to pass at the moment, a topical one for... Um, A-levels and all those uh, other exams that we take. Of course, there's nothing wrong, is there? There's nothing wrong in having hope. Um, it can motivate us to do things, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. But I think in all those examples which I've just given you, it may or it may not happen. It's uncertain. Or actually, there might not be any hope there in the first place. So, what about Christian hope? What about what we heard Katie reading about there in, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians? Well, I don't know if you remember a TV series in the 1990s called Early Edition. Does anyone remember Early Edition? Um, it ran for five years, and it was about this guy called Gary Hobson. Uh, and um, it was a series about him getting tomorrow's newspaper today. And so he has 24 hours to put right anything which he's now reading about. He has no idea why he gets this newspaper. I think it's actually delivered to his doorstep by an orange cat. He doesn't know who sent it and doesn't understand where it's coming from or why he's even getting it. But the series lasted five years, so he must have been absolutely exhausted at the end of it. If you imagine what, what, what it would what it would feel like if you took delivery this morning of tomorrow's newspapers. Just imagine that for a moment. If you knew what was going to happen tomorrow. 
The point is that if you own a Bible, you have a copy of the early edition. In here, it tells you what is going to happen in the future. In here is God's plan for you and for me. There's a plan in here that's going to give you and me hope for the future. Our time, it tells us, on earth is but a blink. For those that have the hope of salvation, we have eternity. So this is your early edition. And this is what Paul is talking about when he writes to the Thessalonians that Katie just read for us. It's a very different type of hope to the worldly hope, which I went through some examples of earlier. This is a hope that can can give us absolute confidence and uh, a peace in our present circumstances, both now and in our future. This is good news. It's called the Christian hope, the hope of salvation. And Paul talks about that as a helmet. I wonder why he talks about it as a helmet. Put on the helmet, the hope of salvation. I wonder if you've thought about that. It's also in Ephesians, isn't it? Put the helmet of salvation on. I wonder if it's something to do with protecting our thinking, getting our thinking right. If our thought life goes wrong, then actually other things start to go wrong as well. So I, th- I believe that's, that's a good analogy of what, what I, Paul talks about, the, the, the helmet. He wants us to get our thinking right. But why is it different? Why is Christian hope different to all the other types of hope? Well, the first thing I would say is that it's based on a person. Now, if you put in hope to Google, you do actually get a person that comes up. The trouble is, it's Bob Hope. Now, I don't know, you're all too young to know who Bob Hope was, but Bob Hope was a great comedian and actor and singer. I used to enjoy watching his films, I don't know if anybody else did. But um, certainly this person we're talking about this morning is not Bob Hope. Um, we sing, don't we? In Christ alone, our hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. We're not putting our hope in a situation. We're not putting our hope in a circumstance. We're putting our hope in a person. The second thing is, it's based on his promises, the promises of this person, of which there are numerous. And of course, the most famous of which must be, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that comes from John's Gospel, as we're familiar with. So Paul's talking here about that promise, the hope of salvation, that in the end, the Lord will come again. And whether we like it or not, we are going to meet him face to face one day and we're going to receive from him all that he's promised and uh, enjoy him more and more forever in eternity our salvation is a process isn't it the bible teaches us that it's a process for those that have invested christ in their lives we both have been saved we are being saved and there'll become a time when we are saved it's a process So dear Jordan has now taken that first step. The parents have done that on behalf of him. But he's going to have to now work out his salvation as he grows up, isn't he? And with the love and support of the family and friends in this church, we pray that is the case. But for each one of us, we're working it out. We often talk about when did you become a Christian. We might have a date in our mind. But you know, it's not really about that. you You might have had a day when something happened, but it's a process. Our salvation is continually being worked out. And the Bible tells us we will be saved. So we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Of course, in the business world, when you look at candidates who might come and want to work for you, you look at their past performance, don't we, as an indicator for future success. Christ's past performance, if you like, 
helps give us this sure and certain belief that his word, his promises, can be relied upon. This early edition, his word, said that he would come in human form, and many people prophesied that, wrote centuries before it actually happened, and he came 2,000 years ago. His word said he would die for us, even the vilest offender who truly believes a pardon receives, and we crucified it. His word said he would overcome death and rise again. He died and he rose again. His word said he will return, and Paul alludes to it in this letter. And until that time came, comes, he would give us his Holy Spirit. So of course, at Pentecost, that was poured out, wasn't it? And uh, Peter and John went on to preach about the resurrection of the dead. And in Acts 4, we read 5,000 people were added that day. And that was just the men. And one day, he's promised that he will come back to judge the living and the dead. So Christian hope, friends, is not false, it's not unrealistic, it's not wishful, it's not dependent on your character, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. It's being sure and certain of what we hope for, and the hope is in a person and in his promises. Do you know, one in twenty of every passage in the New Testament either alludes to or directly refers to Christ coming again sometime in the future. And Paul here is outlining that hope uh, that is sure and certain, that every that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the hope we know. That's the hope that one third of this world knows. It's the hope of salvation. That, I would put to you, is authentic hope. That's why the Christian hope is different to the worldly hope. And of course, it's the, world, it's the hope that's changing lives every day, isn't it? That whoever believes, whatever your background, whatever your history, whatever impossible situation you might find yourself in today, he is in the process of transforming lives. And he's in the business of transforming your life. I uh, love reading stories about how people come to be transformed in their lives, and I was very touched by a story I heard being told to me the other day by a chap called Steve Chalk. Some of you might know him. He's a preacher, church leader, evangelist, works with the youth. And one day he was in a young offenders prison in Newcastle, and he was talking about this hope of salvation. And this 17-year-old boy turned to him and said, Do you know, I really wish I'd met you six months ago. And Steve said, well, well, you know, tell me your story. He said, well, I was, I was, um, I was living in Peckham, South London, and, and depending on which street you lived in in Peckham, uh, dictated which gang you, you, you were in. He said, I didn't really want to be in a gang, if I'm honest, but we used to go around in gangs. And we used to have fights with, with other guys who actually I went to school with and played football with. And I actually quite liked them. But when we got home, I lived in the street, I had to be part of this gang. And then one day, the fight started getting a little bit more serious, and then one day, they heard this other gang, which is a street around the corner, they were carrying knives. And they got into a brawl one night, and uh, accidentally, this guy, uh, got, well, he got into a brawl with this guy, and, and uh, as this other f- friend, he says, a person he knew, came at him with a knife, he tried, to, he got into a scuffle, and ended up, the, the other guy died. So there he was, branded a murderer, age 17, in this young offenders with a life uh, imprisonment. And Steve Chalk said to him, well done for passing the interview. He said, what do you mean, passing the interview? He said, well, when you come out of this uh, prison, uh, I will give you a job to be a um, 
on account of the state to, to, to work with the youth. And at that point, the boy said that he defined his life by the statement that he is a murderer, full stop. And at that point, he said, the full stop became a comma. Hope was restored, and he had something now to live for. That's the, the, the reality of what Paul is talking about here in this passage, that there is hope of salvation for you and for me and for every one of us. So the hope is for ourselves. Well, because it's a gift at the end of the day, isn't it? It's a gift of God's grace to each of us to give us strength in hard times, to press on despite our circumstances. And Paul elsewhere talks about enduring hardships. He says that through suffering we get endurance, through endurance we get character, and character builds hope. It helps us stay focused, to see his plans uh, in our lives fulfilled. And there's a promise there, isn't there, earlier? Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for a hope, plans for a future. And we can look forward with expectancy and anticipation to that happening. I think many of us so often can be a bit like that guy in, in, in the prison, can be so trapped by our past that actually hope is, a, is something which is a, a mystery, which is, there's nothing there, there's no future. Uh, but this life-giving hope, which is on offer, can free us from that. I know in the past I've, I've fallen into that trap of um, living perhaps in the past or with regret or remorse about the past. And the Lord spoke to me very strongly many years ago, forget the form of things, Phil, don't dwell on the past. Seeing I'm doing a new thing for you, I'm, I'm creating a path in the wilderness, a stream in the desert. And that's a promise from the, from the book of Isaiah. Now we can keep it to ourselves, but of course that's not what we, we're encouraged to do throughout the, Testament, throughout the New Testament. We're encouraged to, aren't we, tell others about this hope. Um, so how do we do that? Well, um, the answer is to, to love them, I believe. The fruit of hope, hope in action, is love. Jesus said three things will endure, didn't he? Do you remember? Faith, love, and hope. We've already had authentic faith, so I won't go through that again. We've already had authentic love, and today is authentic hope. But he said the greatest of these is love. Why? Well, I guess one day that we're not going to need any faith or hope, are we? They're going to disappear. We're going to be with our Lord. So we're left with love. So I think there's a, there's a message there to say that our hope in action is love. So until that day comes, the way we tell others about the Christian hope is to love them. That's the one that's going to ultimately endure. Now, there are a couple of other points in the passage that I think are worth just highlighting. Um, you remember that when Katie read that, that, it started off saying about that the Thessalonians were concerned about those that had died already. What are they going to do? Because there was an expectation, you see, in the first century uh, Jews' mind that Christ was going to come again very quickly, perhaps in their own lifetime. And people were beginning already to just die naturally. They're thinking, what's happening? They're going to you know, what's happening to them. And Paul says, look, don't worry about that. They, they will rise again. And the second thing was that they were worried about the timing. Perhaps uh, there were rumours going around about what, that Christ actually had come again already and they'd missed out or, or they were, he was about to come very quickly. And Paul again reminds them, look, nobody knows but the Father when this time is going to happen. I read, and there have been so many people, haven't there, that have predicted that the Lord's coming. There's one particular one I read recently about a chap called Harold Camping who wrote a book in 1992 who said that between the 15th and the 27th of September 1994, the Lord is going to return. He'd be surprised if it got to the 1st of October. 
But if not, then it would be 2011. And in March of this year, he confessed it was wrong to try and guess uh, uh, the date, and he's now searching the Bible to be more fruitful in his understanding of it. I um, was praying not so long ago with a group of friends, and as I opened my eyes, I was shocked to find that half the people that were praying with me had disappeared. Um, and just for a slight moment, I did actually think, um, <laughs> had, had the rapture happened? But then I saw Mark Miller standing next to me, and I thought, no, it can't have happened. He, he reminded me that perhaps I should have, um, have, have something that I need to confess about if I'm worried about that. But um, it was actually at a conference, and just to explain why they disappeared, they had to get onto the main stage to do their thing, so they'd slipped out a bit early whilst I was praying. But you know, when it does happen, it's going to be fast, and it's going to be unexpected. And this is what Paul talks about. He talks about like a thief in the night. Unexpected, or it's going to be fast, a bit like labour pains. Two of my children took many, 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 many hours. It was hard. Many, many hours when they were born. But my son, bless him, popped out in about nine minutes. The doctor said it's not, he's not going to arrive for another six hours. And the nurses all rushed in. And I said, what on earth are you doing? He said, she said, within ten minutes this child was born. And he was. It's going to be that quick, folks. Could even happen before you put your head on your pillow tonight. They thought that was going to happen that quickly. And that's why they were concerned about those that were dying. We just don't know the time. We don't know the time. But it's going to be fast and it's going to be unexpected. And Paul says it's when people believe that there is peace and security in the world. But they'll be, we'll be far from that. So to, in summary, we have an early edition. We have an early edition of what is going to happen. Where we have faith in God, we stand in him and on his promises. Faith is being sure and certain of what we hope for. His promises are many. He says, I have said already, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. If you look at me, and this is the condition, if you look at me with all your heart, then, then you'll find me. The Christian life isn't going to be an easy one. We never have been told that that is the case. But he does give us strength that all that life throws at us uh, with his spirit, we can... Uh, survive it and go through it with him and nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from his love and Paul closes saying so encourage one another will you encourage one another with this truth encourage one another with this promise with this person in whom we have the hope build one another up wear this body armour of faith and love so we get that back again the faith, love and hope he's bringing the, the, the faith and love back into it back into the equation and the hope of salvation so that friends I would say to you is our authentic hope.